Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. I want us to turn just a couple of pages earlier. You had Acts 13. You can turn back to Acts chapter 5. And I love reading the Gospels. I love reading all of Scripture. I love reading the Gospels. And I've got this little thing that I try and do every time I read the Gospel is I try and plug out a little bit from the words on the page. Don't just, just don't misunderstand me. <laughs> and I try and find a way to just get myself into the story, to try and teleport myself a little sort of back to the future type of thing. I, wanna, I, want, I don't just want to read the words. I want to see the story unfolding. And in Acts 5, we see this story unfolding of God. And I wish we could read this whole story. We don't have time for this morning. Go and read Acts chapter 5. It's such a beautiful story of the apostles going and they're preaching all over the place. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the council, they're all getting sort of super upset by this. And they don't know how to stop this thing. And so what they do is they have them arrested, thrown in jail, and overnight. And the next morning, they lock up everything. The next morning, they go and fetch the disciples, they want to go fetch these apostles from the prison and they get there and they're not there. And then the people who were sent by the Jewish council to go and fetch the apostles come to the council and say, guys, something is really weird. We went there, everything is still locked, but there's no one inside this prison. And then just sort of they kind of talking about what on earth could have happened here. And then the message comes, oh, the guys who were in prison, they're in the temple again, teaching. And there they're preaching the gospel. And you can almost see these Pharisees getting so livid at how on earth is this possible. At the same time, we see that the apostles have no desire to run away. They want to continue to be faithful to that which with, the, which with, with, with which they have been called, to which they have been called. And that's sort of where we pick up the story a little bit. And so they go fetch them from the temple without violence, the Bible says, because um, they were afraid of the people. So they don't go violently. They just said, hey, guys, we need to take you back to the the Pharisees. They kind of want the priests, the chief priests want to speak to you. And they bring them. And so when they had brought them, this is verse 27, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. Every time I read that, a little part of me says, God, please may I be guilty of that. The church that I am a part of, God, may we be guilty of that. If there is one accusation I wish to stand guilty of for the rest of my life, it is that the area, the space, the city, the whatever it is that God has allowed me to be involved with, I want to fill that place with my teaching, with my doctrine. Not with the doctrine or kind of some new thing that I've come up with, but the best possible rendition of this word that I can share with people. And I want to bring the blood of Jesus onto every person. You see, they say this kind of in a, you want to blame us for his death. And the more they're saying this, they're actually digging themselves a hole. And the irony here is so beautiful because that is exactly what the disciples are aiming to do. 
This morning, I don't have time to sort of get into the deep teaching around this. I'm sure Henny has taught around this often. I saw you guys spoke about the cross really recently, which is amazing. The reality is that the cross and the blood of Jesus speaks about the redemption of man. And they're so afraid of saying, but we are guilty. You're wanting to blame us for having killed Jesus. And the reality is even today as we sit here, you and I are guilty of the death of Jesus. You and I are guilty because it is our sin that drove him to the cross. We sang so beautifully. I love that song. It's called Beautiful. And except there's one line in that song that every time I sing it, I'm yes, but no. It's you bled and then you died. and Then you rose again for me. Yes, but no. Yes, that, that I get so much of the cross. The fact that Jesus died in the cross was for me, but it's not for me that he died on the cross. He died on the cross for all of mankind. He died on the cross for you and for me. He died on the cross for the person in the deepest, darkest pit here on this earth. He died for the multitudes across the globe who have never heard the name of Jesus. He died for you, but he died for us. And that's that that's tension that we all need to live in, that there is so much that we get out of the cross, but the cross was never about us. The fact that Christ came to the cross and surrendered up his life, you and I get life and life in abundance, the fullness of everything that pertains to life and godliness. We receive that all as a gift from the cross. We get all of that. The danger is when we step into a form of Christianity where we say, well, that is what Christ was about. Christ is about my righteousness and me getting everything that pertains to life and godliness. And that's something that's so beautiful about this church in Antioch. It's something that is so beautiful about these people here in, these apostles here in Jerusalem. Before they get sent out, they realize that even if their lives are at stake here, the discussion goes on. We don't have it there, but the discussion goes on. And they say, you please don't preach in this name of Jesus anymore. A little bit later, and they say, whether to obey you or obey God, <laughs> you decide. In other words, we're going to continue obeying God and His Word upon our lives. There's something about you and me when we, we come to church. I wonder when you are, I heard this, saw this beautiful tweet. Tweet sometimes, I've got these really nuggets that you can just carry. And the tweet says something of a um, guy walking out of church. And he turns to his friend and he says, oh, I didn't really enjoy worship this morning. The friend turns back to him and says, okay, we weren't worshiping you anyway. <laughs> so important sometimes when we, we step into a church environment, a church gathering like this. And I don't like using the word church because sometimes then it creates that misnomer that this is church. This is not church. Our collective, our, this happens to be the gathering of the church. And it's the gathering, when we step into this gathering, sometimes we miss a little bit. And yes, there's something so beautiful. We get so much. And I'm, I'm not trying to knock with the time when we're tired and we're weary and we just need to draw Christ close to Christ. That's beautiful. But the reality is if our faith remains there, we remain in a very shallow faith. 
When our faith remains that I need to go because I need to get from God, we remain in a, a shallow place in our walk with Christ. There is something about, and kind of this little phrase there, this sort of my hidden, maybe not so hidden agenda that I choose to live by. Jesus, I want to bring, or let's use this translation's wording here, I want to fill Jerusalem, in my case, perhaps Pretoria, or in your case, Johannesburg, or Randburg, or Santon, or Roosevelt, or whichever part you are. I want to fill this area with your teaching, and I want to bring the blood of Jesus upon all people. And the reality is that as much as we gather in the beauty of gathering as we do this morning, how we scatter is far more important than how we gather. Our going is far more important than our coming. Our coming is important in as much as it empowers us and allows us to go. Our coming is the place where we receive strength. I love one of our elders, Michal. He always got this beautiful session thing. He says, he says, church, the gathering, it's amazing, it's precious, he loves it, but it's just the team talk. It's just the team. If the gathering is what my faith is about, I'm missing the whole point of my faith. It's the team talk. It's the coming together. We put our heads and our minds together. We pray together. We worship together. We receive encouragement. We get taught in the word, but then we step out from the locker room and the game begins. And then we come back and we have another team talk. And from time to time we need a break. But that's such a healthy way for us, I believe, in which to embrace the righteousness of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And a large part of the kingdom of God's righteousness has to do with the way in which you and I engage with a broken world. Passage we know fantastically well and I'm just going to mention two passages which I believe we, we both know well, or we all know well, just as an encouragement this morning. And then perhaps leave us with a small challenge towards the end. Matthew 28, we all know it super well. I hope you do. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. There's so much that one can say, has been said about all of this. I want to just illustrate two things from this passage. The first one is go and make. Disciples are not made by themselves. Disciples do not occur accidentally. The disciples don't just suddenly appear on the ground. You don't just walk into a building and suddenly there's a room full of disciples. Similarly, it doesn't say, God isn't saying, go and I will make disciples. No, the instruction he's giving to human hands, you go and be deliberate about making disciples, teaching them. And then he goes on, he explains what is a disciple. If you want to kind of know biblical definition of discipleship, here is sort of a, a short but a very accurate biblical definition. Go and make disciples of all the nations. What does a disciple look like? Well, somebody who's been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and taught to obey all the commands that he has given us. There's a, a weight of responsibility that gets placed upon you and upon me. It's a beautiful weight. It's precious. There's, there's few things as amazing as seeing somebody engage with the Word of God and have their lives transformed by the Word of God. 
There are a few things as fulfilling as that, I believe, whether you're called as an evangelist, whether you're called as a pastor, whether you're called as a businessman, whether you're called as a street sweeper, I believe there are very few things in this life that will give us as much fulfillment as seeing people come to terms with the Word of God and being transformed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. When we embrace with it, I believe we step into something of the special work that God has prepared for all of us. And I'm with you always. Sometimes we forget that Jesus is always with you. You don't need to pray, Jesus, be with me. That's the type of prayer when you pray it and I think God looks at you and says, can you read? (laughs) No, I am with you. I promised I will always be with you. Jesus, help me to remember that you are with me is perhaps a more biblical prayer than Jesus, please be with me. He's already promised he's with you. You don't have to doubt that. David takes that to an extreme. He says, even if I make my bed in the pit of hell, you are there with me. There is nowhere I can go to escape from your presence. God has committed his presence. He remains Emmanuel. God with us even when we're running away from him. And then Matthew 9. Jesus is traveling through all of the towns and villages of the area where he's ministering at that time. He's teaching in their synagogue. He's announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he heals every kind of disease and illness. Powerful, powerful ministry is happening. Multitudes are coming to him because there's a demonstration of power of the ministry and they're drawn towards it. But he sees the crowds and he has compassion on them because they are confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The last couple of years as a church group, we've been speaking a lot about we want to be known for our love. What does it mean to be known for love? Jesus says, this is how they will know you are my disciples, by the way in which you pray for one another, by the way in which you're deep in your worship, by the way in which you go to the ends of the earth. No, what are those things may be included. This is how they will know you're my disciples, by the love that you have for each other. And all of those others should be an outflow and a companion of that great love that we have for all people. But by the, how, do we know, how are, are we known for our love and what does it look like to be known for love? We've been speaking about that for a while and we read that right here. Jesus looks and he sees the people and he has compassion on them. He looks at the brokenness. He looks at the fallers. I was in a casino. I know, not mean to say that out loud. I was in a casino a couple of, a week or two ago. There's this brand new development in Pretoria area, which also has a casino, and they were giving away some crazy, crazy prizes, a couple of million rands worth of prizes, and I thought, hey, maybe I'll win it, hey, you know? <laughs> Cast your bread upon the water. Hey. Can, I, can I just put a disclaimer in there? It wasn't sort of, I didn't have to pay anything. All you had to do was just kind of submit an entry with no financial obligation, and maybe you can win something really amazing. I thought, hey, let me try I'm definitely not going to win if I don't enter. Okay. So I went there, and then kind of there were a couple of thousand people, because everyone wants to win. It's like two million rands flat, and then a million rands car, and then just giving away crazy stuff. And my seat was in the sun outside, and I was like, this is really hot. It was pretty odd. So I just went, and I went and sat in the air-conditioned casino. And I was sitting there watching people just walking in, just literally, they've got, I was sitting next to the roulette table just watching this, and they've got, where you stack the money, and they've literally got a hole in the table. And all the bets that get placed that gets lost, 
the person, whatever their name is, that works at the roulette table, literally just puts their arms around the money and just sweeps all the money into the hole, all the coins or the chips, and they fall into this, literally throwing their money down a hole. I was sitting there just looking, bucket loads, just money, of, and there's like 10 tables all around me, and it's just money, 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 money. I was like, Jesus, this is crazy. And then you begin to see the brokenness, and you hear the stories that people start telling around the table. And I realized Jesus is a church. Isn't this where we're meant to be more often? The brokenness. The guy who comes up to his friend and he says, listen, I know I got paid yesterday, but I've just lost my whole paycheck. Can I borrow another 10,000 rand because I'm busy over there? And you realize the depravity and the brokenness and that it's not about the money, but it's the searching for some sort of significance that hopefully money will be able to buy me because there's this emptiness on the inside. And as the church, if we just move into any space around us, when we realize that there is brokenness all around, how are we filling that brokenness with the doctrine of Jesus and bringing people to an understanding of the blood of Jesus? So Jesus goes and he sees all of this brokenness and he's filled with compassion and there's this love that permeates and just seeps up out of him. And then there's this one question that comes to mind. His response fascinates me. He sees the brokenness and his response isn't to run towards the brokenness. His response is to turn to his disciples, his friends, the 12 around him. In verse 37, he says to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. This is one of two prayers that I'm aware of that Jesus gives us to pray. The one we all know well, it's also found in in Matthew 6 as an example. The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We love praying that prayer, hopefully. (laughs) We love singing that prayer. This is the other prayer that Jesus gives us to pray. The prayer is simply, Jesus, would you send more workers into the field because the work is too much. The work is way too much. Jesus, could you send more workers into the field? And the scary thing, I guess, one of the reasons why we don't pray this prayer so much is because if we have like two brain cells, which I think everyone here does, that's joined together, we figure out that it's really hard to pray this prayer if we're not willing to be the answer to our own prayer. It's really hard to pray this prayer to say, Jesus, would you send someone, but not me. We realize we can't do that. Jesus, if we're praying, would you send more workers? And I guess we have to un- implicit and, and I'm willing to be one. So the challenge that I want us to, to think of a little bit is in your city, in your town, in your area that you have a little bit of influence over. Are you willing to be your own answer to your prayer? Are you willing to say, God, I will be the answer to the prayer in this area? And then specifically for our purpose today, would you as a church be willing to do that, not only individually, but as a church to say, well, there's some other areas where we can make a difference. 
There's some other areas where sometimes we can send a missions team, where sometimes we can send some people to go and do a, a parenting course, or somebody to go and do worship training, or somebody to go and raise up small group leaders, or somebody just to go and encourage, to go and pray, to go and get behind, to go and see what the believers there are doing, and maybe just support them. And as much as Henny and Rochelle, in a sense, or Henny specifically, is, is stepping into a position of saying, hey guys, I'm wanting to take you under my wing just a little bit. The truth is the best way he can do that is if you guys as a congregation look at those congregations and say, hey, we're willing to take you under our wing a little bit. Now, I love the quote a little bit here. Not to be high on control, but to be high in accountability and high in support. How can we empower you guys to go beyond where we are? What is it that we have learned in our space and can we impart that, teach that, train you just a little bit, show you what we've got so you can go even further than you already are and hopefully overtake us? Because that's the heart, I believe, of all biblical leadership is how am I helping those around me go further than I could ever go by myself? Can we stand together this morning? I'd love to pray together. Twofold challenge that I want us to pray over, I want to leave with you. Firstly, are you individually willing to be the answer to your own prayer in the space where you're at, the environment that you find yourself in? Are you willing to pray, Lord Jesus, send out laborers and start with me? And then this is perhaps a broader conversation. Would you as a church, collectively, be willing to say, Jesus, we want to be an answer to that prayer. We want to be an answer to the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Maybe this is Jerusalem. Well, guess what? Beautiful example. Judea is the rest of this region of Gauteng, literally. <laughs> Samaria is Secunda and Stanerton. Maybe Bloemfontein is the ends of the earth, but... <laughs> It was literally as simple as that as Jesus gave to disciples. Start where you are and just branch out from there. We see that in Luke. Luke oh, in Acts. Acts starts in Jerusalem. And then Philip is in Samaria. And there's a small Samaria thing. And then from Samaria, they go to the ends of the earth. And eventually Paul ends up in Rome. Are we willing to go beyond our boundaries? Perhaps at times be a little bit uncomfortable. Because we believe in the power of the blood of Jesus. And we believe in the power of the doctrine, the teaching of the Word of God. So, Lord Jesus, this morning, I want to thank you for this incredible church, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you that so many are here today already who have said yes in their personal lives, who are willing to be a difference, and in fact are being that difference in their community, Lord God, who are holding on to the Word, who even were they to be locked up in jail tonight, tomorrow morning, they would be back in the town preaching the Word. Thank you, God, that for many of them, you've already worked that in their hearts, and this morning, Jesus, I pray that you just draw them even closer to that. I pray for a boldness to step into that more. In Jesus' name. Jesus, I pray that in Johannesburg, Jesus, would you raise up laborers? Would you send harvesters? Would you send workers into the field? Because the harvest is great. And the workers are few. And I pray that Shofar Johannesburg gathering here this morning, Lord, gathering in Santon this evening. God, I pray that they would be known, Lord, as gatherings of harvesters. 
family, community that gathers together, Lord, who strengthens and builds one another up in the faith so that they may scatter and be a light in the midst of a broken world, God. And Lord, even as this church, in a sense, steps up to, to the church, the role of being a base church, a supporting church, a church more than they have been up to now, as amazing as they have been already, Lord God, that they even their finances, their giftings, their abilities, the resources that you make, that you have given to them. God, I pray for a grace to be able to just make it available to the churches around them, God. That those churches truly may flourish in every possible way. Even as was prayed earlier, Lord, I thank you for the incredible leaders in this church, God. And I pray just for an incredible synergy and a grace as they come around Henny to say, how can we grow not only this church, but all of the churches in this region? Jesus, I pray that as we step into that, that we truly would discover the dynamic of entering into the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, I'm going to hand over to Henny or Andrew or whoever you close the service. If you do need prayer, I want to ask you that as they end off the service, you're welcome to step forward. We'd love to pray together. Maybe you're saying here, Philip, I so would love to. I would love to be the answer to that prayer but there's some stuff in my life and my heart that I just can't get over and I need a breakthrough around that I need Jesus to set me free I I need some stuff to shift around my life we're willing to pray with you around that prayer might be the first step an important step there might be some practical things that you need to do for those things to shift some action some you need perhaps money to enroll for Bible school whatever it might be but if you need prayer if you're registering a need for someone to pray with you this morning Please don't leave without us allowing us to pray for you. God bless you. Thank you so much for your time. It was great being with you. And keep up the incredible, incredible work that you guys are doing here. Bless you all. Thanks for listening to this message from Shafa Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jarberg.com.